the chapter basically said, live as though your father was dead. And that you live through layers of your purpose. Lend me your ears. <laughs> this nation will rise up. Welcome to the Elemental Health Podcast. Welcome back to the Elemental Health Podcast. I am your host, Nick Quinton, and today we have got another exciting episode um, where we dive into lots of different aspects of health and fitness, um, and we get a, a kind of unique view on what it means to be busy and trying to do lots of different things at the same time, which I think is kind of a space we all find ourselves in, and sometimes uh, we can be overwhelmed, and, and strategies and tools really help us in this space, and I think today is, is packed full of that. I want to welcome on the podcast. Uh, Yusuf from Pro Propane Business. Now, Propane uh, is a Propane Fitness. Propane Business is an organisation that I've been um, partnering up with and, and getting some business support from uh, to help me build build out my coaching and, and kind of reach more people and, and help uh, help you guys, I guess. Um, so we, we've known each other for a little while and, you know, this is a really interesting character that I wanted to dive into detail on. Um, and the, we have a ranging conversation. We, we talk about lots of different things, uh, including how to manage a business, staying fit and active and being a junior doctor in the NHS over here in the UK. Uh, things that are all in themselves uh, um, time big time commitments but but Yusuf is out there kind of doing it and living it and working it all out he's also a master of productivity and has loads of kind of tools and tactics to help him be the most productive and 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 manage this busy life and this hecticness um, and as a busy guy who perhaps doesn't have tools and tactics it's certainly a learning experience to chat to Yusuf on those topics uh, we also talk about um, biohacking what it means what works what is noise in this space um, and maintaining physical robustness within that busy life and how to manage uh, manage your health when it comes to things like shift work and, and getting through nights and, and tactics on on that that we both utilize to help us uh, in our in our kind of clinical medical practice and, and being being put under a lot of pressure um, we also dive into dieting, what, what what Yusuf is up to and what the guys at Propane Fitness do uh, for, for their clients as well. And I think that's an interesting component towards the end. Uh, so cling on for that one. Um, it is a, is a long, long one today, but I think there's loads of action packed in there. So um, hopefully enjoy the conversation. And without further ado, here we go with Yusuf Smith from Propane Fitness. Yusuf, welcome to Elemental Head health podcast uh, let me butcher that one more time <laughs> Yusuf welcome to the elemental health podcast we've been knowing each other for probably about eight months now um as as you guys have been on propane business have been kind of coaching me um trying to help me develop my coaching practice uh, but today's conversation uh is is about you and kind of your journey through health and fitness where you are now and I really want to dive into some of the um some of the the contrast between kind of healthcare and fitness, um, some of the synergies, and then I'd love to progress to the, the tools and tactics that kind of everyone always wants, the tools and tactics that you believe work and the ones that you don't. So um, the audience has heard a little bit about you from my very, very short intro, and um, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm more interested to hear from your own words, kind of how you transition from um, corporate background to fitness business 
to healthcare and, and and you know what are the what are the highlights and lowlights for you? Yeah, so may as well go go straight in deep then. So I started propane about 2008 2009 with Johnny, my business partner, and we were both um, <clears throat> we were both students at the time, basically aiming to do the kind of standard um, work in an office till you're 65, retire, do the kind of very um, standard approach of, uh, of of living life really straight out of the box and while we were working in finance he was in uh, he was in an accounting firm I was in an investment bank I started to get this kind of niggling feeling that I just had made the wrong decision and that was just compounding over and over and I was like well there's not really much I can do at this stage I've already set the course and there was a chapter in a book by a guy called David Dada called The Way of the Superior Man. And one the, the, the chapter basically said, live as though your father was dead. And that you live through layers of your purpose, like an onion, and the outer layers fall away. And over time, if you don't go with that, you're trying to hold on to these dead layers that are no longer part of you anymore. And, it, and you move further and further away from your authentic truth, your authentic purpose. And people start to feel that. And it's just not a good way to to live and so that started a bit of a, a painful process in me thinking like you know what i've had this niggling feeling i want to apply for medicine and, and be a doctor for some time now i better just do it because that time is going to pass anyway and if i don't i'm just going to be 10 years ahead and looking at the way that my boss is over over on that desk over there i don't really want to be him he looks like he's got a pretty miserable life he's on He's maybe on 10 grand a year more and he's 50% more miserable. It's not a great trade-off. <laughs> and that started the rabbit hole of, of kind of self-development, personal development. And you, you know, you are, you're, you're kind of the productivity guru as well. And, and thinking about it as I was cycling over to, to jump in on this, um, you're probably one of the few people I know is who is, is kind of uh, as busy, if not busier than I am, which is, which is <laughs> not many people, not many people at all. So um, that is interesting. And that on a personal level, um, I know exactly what you mean. I can relate to that hundred percent because um, I had a very short career in the military, which I was there to, to fund for fun, to live the adventure, that kind of like schoolboy mentality. And I very much did. Um, but uh, and then I left and sought security, went into the corporate world, uh, IT projects in finance and then I had that exact same process that kind of uh, coming to terms with it I actually met a para paramedic and I was like I think I'm going to do what you do and he says oh, you, you're talking about the road to Damascus moment and I thought mm, do I know what that means <laughs> I'm not sure but um and, and then I, I sort of transitioned out of that when when did my paramedic science degree and I've, I've been in that practice for it's coming up to nine years now, so that's been nine, yeah, nine, nine, ten years since that transition for me. And, and nice, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting. I'm I'm keen to talk to you in kind of maybe three, four, five years and see how you yeah, for sure. And it's well, it's, it's awesome to see that in you, and you, you know, you're you're clearly a living example of someone who is living in alignment with with their mission. And you know, to I think to move career, especially from something like the military, where it's like super predictable and super like laid out for you it certainly takes a lot of a lot of courage to make that jump because you're kind of stepping into the unknown and i'm sure as you've you've probably seen a lot of ex military people have inherited this kind of um mentality where 
when the constraints are lifted on their life, they're like, oh God, like what, what do I do? And that's why we're probably seeing large amounts of homelessness and, and quite bad outcomes after someone's been uh, institutionalized in the military for, for so long. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's at the forefront of my mind in, in lots of the bits and pieces I do. I do some charity work for, I mean, this is a podcast, this is a family, it's funny, but I do some charity work for blind veterans and the guys there, some of the younger guys have been severely damaged from that transition more than anything else. Um, and through the network, you know, that you're always hearing your things and, and you know, the, 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 the story of people struggling coming out of the military is, is very true and very real, certainly my experience. Um, so you had the corporate world, you thought, what, what was that mindset? Okay, there's more out in the space and then you created this business. Yeah, so that was kind of something that was always going along and, and it wasn't really seen as a business for us. It was just like, let's set up a blog and just put our thoughts down on paper because we like lifting weights and being muscly and stuff. So let's just, you know, <laughs> and that's that's how it kind of started. But we just started to get organic inquiries from people saying, hey, do you do coaching? And Johnny and I were like, do, do we do coaching? Like, yeah, okay. Like, let's, <laughs> it's £7.99. And that was our first uh, coaching program. And uh, it just involved like opening up a Microsoft Word document and just typing in from scratch, like everything that we knew about training and sending it to this guy. And um, over time, we started to realize, actually, this is maybe something that we can systematize, turn into a full coaching business, a full process rather than just two guys sending people meal plans and that's really how i guess how how we met um because you you kind of invested in yourself and said right i i, I want these kind of systems for my own business and uh, be able to to serve more people yeah cool and then um uh, and then how so so straight in uh, you said straight in the deep end for me this is the big question now is uh, you're an f2 you've gone through the medical educational system um you've, you've had a, a previous life to to, to that <laughs> i've i've i've, I've um, uh, not mentored but i've had lots of uh, junior doctors come out on the road with me when i was up in london but so some quite interesting stories there but um uh, but you've you've had an experience. You've had a life. You haven't gone straight through the school system straight, and you know you're not you're not through the factory into being a, being a doctor. Um, so what I'd love to, I really want to know what how you feel about that educational program, and then how you feel about actually uh, working in the healthcare system now, um, understanding what you do about health and fitness, and how does the two gel together? Um, are there any kind of uh, conflicts and friction points? Yeah, this is a really good question, and I. Like, I'm sure you won't mind me getting a bit esoteric with, with this, but looking back, I'm actually quite glad that I did medicine as a postgrad. And I'm sure you probably feel the same way about um, being a paramedic, because I think there's a lot of experiences that you can bring into that, which if you just gone straight in from school, you're probably not making your own decisions. And this is where the chapter of live as though your father is dead came from. It's not about your physical father, but it's like inheriting all of the cultural values and and societal beliefs and expectations and living a, a vicarious life that someone else wanted you to live rather than what you want to do and so at the age of 16 for someone to want to be a doctor really like at least in my 16 year old brain all i would have like i would only be able to think as as abstractly as i'm a nice person and i like science and that that would be it and and the the reality of the the job is so different from that that 
you know, I think I think it's not fair to make a 16-year-old kid make that kind of decision in their life. The other part of that is that because you're still developing, both kind of neuroanatomically and also um, just in terms of your character and, and all these things, that to put someone through the medical education system, which is five years of absolutely having your ass out, like it is such a... Um, you're just being like squeezed through this this system and it's, it's really quite brutal is that it does things to your mind body complex like it makes you build a sense of character armor which uh, kind of wilhelm reich describes as like a um a musculo emotional defense and you 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 will have definitely seen this when, when you're on the road with some with some doctors is that they they will have a very they're they're almost a little bit like scared deer sometimes like the the more junior doctors because of what they've kind of had to been pushed through and the um the level of risk that's suddenly dropped on them in a job that's very you know straight straight out of uni basically into something that's like that um and that's very hard to undo and i think it's much easier to be able to contend with that when your character is already formed in some ways mm. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I know that firsthand exactly right going through the paramedic program um, with lots of people that are much younger than me. And um, yeah, I, I feel you can't, you, you can't as much as you might want to kind of coach someone into believing in themselves and all those things that we talk about. You can't fast forward and, and get the perspective that, that life gives you um, after you've been through different things different things happening to you um i also feel like to you know from what i've seen whether it be a paramedic nurse doctor you know i don't differentiate i try not to um unless i'm really bad mood (laughs) but uh i i think you can't the the people i've seen that are very good clinically in my experience are very measured very calm individuals um and that tends to be from you know an interesting life background um and the the other point is you know if i look back to myself uh never mind the people i've mentored through paramedic programs etc but um if i look back to myself as a 20 early 20s um then i i didn't have a clue and specifically i didn't know how to communicate well and that's the big, big one for me is, is being able to communicate and being able to chat to people that are all from every aspect of life and, and get through to them. Because I think, I don't know your feelings, but a lot of what, what I do certainly is, is having a conversation with a patient um, and getting them to make an informed decision um, and trying that get, to get them to weigh the balance of risks and take ownership and agency over their own health. Um, that's a challenge. And if you're not a good communicator, that you're going to come unstuck. Yeah, that, that's that's a huge one, especially with. Um, I think when someone, if someone isn't able to do that, and let's say you've got, I mean, the, the example that I see all the time is like, you've got a patient who clearly like doesn't gel with with the consultant that's coming to speak to them, and and they're just from a completely different background, and the consultant's telling them like, well, your your ESR is slightly raised, and um, this is going to result in some inflammatory process going on in the and. And this may have complications and you need to address your modifiable risk factors. And they're like, what, what are you talking about? Um, and if, you know, if someone comes, if someone's like, oh, this, what does this kind of stuffy doctor know or the stuffy paramedic? It's all like, or even coming across as holier than now. 
it's not a um it's not a message that's going to resonate and i think um that's probably where the overlap of of coaching comes in for sure i've certainly noticed myself when i was working in um acute medicine for example i had a patient who had um he was a, he was a bodybuilder absolutely massive like 100 120 kilos or something quite lean um and he'd uh, I, the um the previous person who clerked him or who spoke to him he was uh, wrote that he denied any kind of steroid use and then when i spoke to him i was like oh so what were you doing at the time when this headache came on and he was like oh, i was bench pressing and i kind of like had a bit of banter with him i was like oh what, what were you doing he's like oh 180 for six and i was like okay that's a pretty <laughs> that's a pretty serious bench um have you used anything in the bit like what, what what kind of supplements are you on what, and you know just a bit more uh and 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 then he opened up and said well i, I take these peptides and i have this and then i do and and i guess part of that is just like oh, okay the guy who's talking to me gets it and so i can talk about this stuff and he's not going to judge me for it um so i wonder whether that's a big big part of it as well yeah um uh, and and you know the the I, I see this I've seen this at consultant level as well the ability to listen to what the patient's saying. Um, firstly, it saves you a shitload of time, um, and also it, it makes you look like an ass if if you because if you don't listen basically. And I've seen I've seen consultants get caught out where the patient said something completely different and they they've overridden it because they're not listening. And then five minutes later, they're like, Oh, I just need to ask you about that. And you know, I'm, that, that look on my face is like probably priceless said. In, in, in the ER. I was like, so they said that I put it on paperwork, you know, can you look any more stupid? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, it's, it's, it's interesting. And, and any, any more reflections on, on, on kind of the challenges that, um, that junior doctors have, you know, coming into, especially now coming into this crazy, crazy world um and and the the, the restrictions because i you know I, I, I certainly feel like you know we're, we're in a quite restrictive healthcare system um what we can say can't say what we can do what we can't do how, how do you feel about yeah, that? yeah and you know that i think any comments i have about policy i suppose i've also got to be i've got to tread carefully with with what i'm saying but yeah it, it's got to be hard for the especially the the new f1s coming into this certainly in my area they the the f1s didn't have to do their final exams they were just basically halfway through the final year they were like oh guys um we need you so you're doctors now and they didn't have to do the exams and i think for me that would be worse because you they i mean they didn't end up being needed anyway because like the capacity was able to handle it in our hospitals but suddenly you've got all these new med students who haven't done it haven't started any of the prep for their finals exams because they were expecting it to be in six months time and now they don't have to do them i would have a massive sense of imposter syndrome if that was me because i'd be like well there's no way i'm just going to sit and learn this stuff for fun and now i'll always be the year of doctors who never did their final exams and so um i'm, I'm i don't think that was a very good decision of them to make but i realized why they had to make it because they were anticipating this catastrophic um change in in caseload but it didn't end up happening um i don't know if that's what you were going for nick but <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean but i guess clinically we both have to kind of walk the line and, and kind of play the game a little bit as i see it um 
I, I guess um, I'm, I'm a bit further down the road and I, I've actually, I'm, I'm part-time now clinical practice. So I've kind of got a buffer between me and what goes on. So I've, I've, I've got, you know, and I've talked about them on this podcast before, the, the challenges of, of the healthcare system or the sick care system that is not necessarily promoting what I'd consider good health. Um, that's one of the missions of, of having these conversations and, and putting my voice kind of out in, in the public sphere. Um, but I'm not going to probe you on that. Um, but I, but so when, when you see a cohort of sick people, and obviously you've got a background in, in health and fitness, um, what are what are kind of what do you see as the the, the big mistakes yeah. people make? I, so I, it's something that I I thought a lot about. Sorry to interrupt you, but it's something that I thought a lot about before launching this product project, um, the Elemental Health. Pro- podcast and also uh doing more in the coaching space as well something nice which you it's absolutely needed especially for people like you who have who are bridging the gap and and have been in both fields and actually understand what both of these different fields and different patient populations are facing in terms of challenges um and i've got i've got a lot to say on this so let me know if i if i go on a rant but um it is certainly continuum and i think part of the part of like to, to frame it really we have a systemic problem which is that Everything in an underfunded system doesn't have the resource to do a big overhaul. And so both from a admin and computer systems perspective and also from a kind of overall guideline creation and an execution perspective, it's too expensive in the short term to address things at the root. And because of the frequency of political cycles as well, it's also not there's no incentive for any particular government to um, install something that is going to take effect in 20 or 30 years time. So as a result, short-term bolt-ons and um, Frankensteining of of solutions are, are made every time for any little solution, for every little problem. And then over time, that creates this big, messy system that's very hard to undo and to unravel. And so that's, I think that's that's a big part of it. But the other part is this separation between healthcare and preventative medicine, or um, some, you know, taking agency over over your health. And I, I know that you're you're really big on this. And I think really one of the solutions that would have to be would have to happen. And, and I, I hope that this is actually practical. Practical is actually something that could be done in the next ten years. Is an integration between primary care and personal trainers, coaches, nutritionists, like that to basically create, turn into, into a more of a continuum rather than you come to the GP by the time you've got a complication with your problem. And the GP only has seven minutes in the clinic with you and can't talk you through any kind of real lifestyle advice beyond the, the basics, which the patient probably knows, but isn't doing because they haven't had their adherence managed. And so we end up with this continuing disconnect. And it's going to be all the more important in that we're now seeing a different set of presentations that are coming in. I imagine GPs now are seeing presentations that they've never seen 15 years ago, which is young men who have who are presenting with erectile dysfunction, either from extreme dieting or from steroid use. We're seeing people with rotator cuff tears because they've been doing CrossFit and doing 30 snatches to failure. You know, we're seeing seeing things that GPs aren't currently equipped to deal with and so there maybe needs to be a redefinition of where people come in and um, who takes ownership of that 
Yeah, that's a that's a brilliant answer, and you're you're a systems thinking guy, um, and I think yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's it's uh, I, I would say um, the, 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 on top of what you'd said, I think I agree a hundred percent, and that's the way I try and always frame it in my own mind. It's kind of like it's not it's very easy to point the finger and say that guy's not doing the right thing. He only cares about the pharmaceutical industry or whatever it might be, um, but uh, really, it's the system. That is producing that more of itself and we've got this huge system um and this is this is the same across the world really we've got systems on systems on systems um that aren't necessarily centered around the right thing or, or around the right way of thinking and that's the fundamental challenge um and yeah i think you know the 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 more we can have these conversations and not be finger pointing and not saying right okay you're doing the wrong thing and you know the government's wrong right or wrong and we need to do x y and z is is kind of look at the fundamentals that's a massive challenge because that's the hardest thing to look at um, there's no quick sound bites when it comes to that sort of stuff um, but yeah I think um, and also the challenge I do lots of work with GPs at the moment and just the, the overwhelm that in that space is huge and you know unless you're severely sick with some sort of chronic illness you, you, lots of people have, have a barrier to actually seeing a healthcare professional um, and therefore they're left to kind of wander the, the, the wastelands and you know in, in a very small case get picked up by guys like you and me um, but on the whole probably just jump around um, getting a bit lost yeah <laughs> massively and you know that even the people that get to the the likes of you you know but by the time they've actually reached out and asked a coach for some help these are already the the kind of cream of the the crop of people that have taken not only taken agency over their health they're willing to put money behind it and they're motivated enough to make a make a change and ask for some guidance so they've already had to have jumped through so many layers to get to that point and then there's this huge bunch of the population that would really only see a doctor when they're no longer able to do the things that they needed to do for their daily life. And usually by that point, their disease might have progressed to a point where there really is only symptomatic treatment available. Mm. Okay, yeah, yeah, and, and yes, and that's that's the big problem, isn't it? I think is, is getting getting people awake to these issues and, and kind of seeking health. Um, but, but the belief I, I have now is that, that we've got the tools certainly to, to reach out and everyone's got the tools to communicate a whole new level. Um, and, you know, small changes um, is my approach. Build strong habits. That's that's a, that's a tagline. <laughs> uh, but, um, but yeah, I think, um, it, yeah, there's, there's all sorts of challenges, but there's all sorts of lights and, and kind of positives that can be drawn. Uh, even if we look at, if we look back to the last 12 months, you know, I think there's massive, massive positives that can be drawn out of, of quite a dark period in, in our generation. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's switch far a little bit. Um, loads of aspects that I'd love to, to talk to you about, pick your brain on. Um, I, I want to kind of switch fire to, um, uh, your coaching methodology and your own personal uh, beliefs around health and fitness, um, what you get up to. Uh, but I'd, I'd like to start with, um, you know, your, your approach to nutrition, what you think works, what you think is a joke um, and, and, and what you see as kind of like the, the noise. Yeah. And I think we've, we've, we've probably got quite similar views on this. Um, so with, with nutrition as, as a whole, I think one of the fundamental things that and, and this this goes for training and nutrition and, and any habit stuff is is that usually the the boring long slow hard route is the 
is the way to make progress. You know, patient diligence is the fastest way, they say, isn't it? It's the Zen saying. And so for the majority of people that have a nutritional goal, it's usually going to be weight loss. And then um, once they kind of learn a bit more about it, they, re they recognize that, okay, it's fat loss that I'm seeking specifically, so I'm going to hold on to my lean mass. And usually people will go round the houses first and come back to what they intuitively knew in the first place, which is eating a bit less on their plate. Um, but it, but I think I was very prone to looking for shortcuts and, and eventually I realized, oh, hang on, I've spent five years looking for the shortcuts. I, <laughs> if I'd just done the boring thing for those five years, I'd be so much further ahead. So all of our nutritional planning for a client just is based on what's the goal? Is it to be more muscular and slowly gain weight or is it to lose fat and maintain my muscle and i think at the end of the day everyone has some element of a bodybuilding goal even if they don't realize it because if you ask anyone on the street do you want more muscle and less fat however they whatever they call it whether it's more toned or svelte or whatever, whatever the, the terminology is that's that's what they want to do in some in some way they just might not necessarily want to be um, mr olympia so Everything's just focused around that, around maintaining lean mass, getting lean first, and then progressively adding calories so that they can maintain that leanness and gain muscle over time. Cool. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think there's, uh, yeah, <laughs> we, we've both been down this rabbit hole of, of kind of like both from a, I think both from a personal perspective and also from a professional, professional perspective in terms of, right, how, how do I market myself and, and get, you know, get my words out there. And, and, and then you think, well, hang on, I, I need to be saying something that's going to draw people in. It's going to get them instant results. How can I do that? And then, you know, it's just so much jumping around um, in, in every sphere, really. And, and you're right. And, and you know, that, that reminds me of massively off topic, but um, you did a podcast with Ali, can't remember his surname, um, Dr. Uh, Ali Dr. Abdel, yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, he, he recently put out, um, uh, put out YouTube, I mean, his big YouTuber, uh, put out YouTube about his last 12 months in revenue. And I was blown away by three years of consistency, what that has delivered for that guy um, in terms of business and, and scale. And, and I was just like, yeah, that's, that's, that's it really. There, there isn't, a, you know, if there is a secret sauce, yeah. that's it. Do something every week for three years and you will He's see absolutely smashed it, isn't he? Yeah. And, and, and the curve, <laughs> I mean, I guess this applies more with kind of online business where there is no, there's no kind of limit, no limiting factor is that the curve was like nothing for ages. And then suddenly it all took off. Um, whereas I suppose the curve, the shape of the curve is probably a bit different with um, dieting and training, but um, there's certainly increasing returns in, in, in some aspects of it. Yeah. And what's, what do you see as the, the the approaches that work to, to, to building that consistency so for for me i i'm a bit of a um what is the word a bit of a fanatic about satiety and satiety management just because i think most people if they're struggling to lose fat once they've got the mechanics of stuff out of the way you know once they've decided that they want to lose fat and they've they've decided not to have crap food in their house and and that they are motivated and you know once all that basic stuff is in place then it becomes about hunger management and like how much hunger can you tolerate um when losing fat and so 
rather than trying to white knuckle it and just eating less of the same foods that you eat, my big kind of hobby horse is adjusting the satiety index of the food that someone's eating so that they can still eat large volumes of food, but the calories are lower. And then over time, it's a relatively painless process and they've they've lost fat without any kind of, um, without feeling like they're suffering. Yeah. That's, 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 yeah, it's a, it's a valuable tool, very much so. And on a personal level, like, you know, I'm, I'm a big eater. So that, that is a factor. If I, if I wanted to turn the, turn the knobs, um, on my own body composition, whatever you want to call it, um, then, then that's, that's going to be a huge factor as well. Um, okay. And, um, what about training then? So if we, we, we if that's nutrition, being consistent, um, managing your, your satiety and, um, you know, finding a system. So I think my, my approach is it's kind of the same, but it's, you know, I try and take people on a bit of a journey to, to find their own path really um, and, and own something. So I think that ownership massive, aspect yeah. is massive. Yeah. Um, uh, what about training? Training, I, by the way, just to comment on the ownership thing, I, I really like that. I think that's the sign of a, a good coach or a good, even a good therapist is someone who can ask the right questions and get someone to yeah take ownership, take agency of what they're doing and make it their own. Um, so training wise, this depends on how how seriously someone wants to take the muscle gain thing. Because if you've got a twenty year old um, male who's like you know keen to get after it, and just, then fine, you get them in the gym four or five times a week and hit them with quite a quite a serious program. Whereas for most people, they will get significant gains, even from training twice a week. And for, let's say it's a general population, someone coming to a GP clinic and just wants to want some exercise guidelines, twice a week of some kind of push, some kind of pull, and some kind of legs, and just aiming for five sets of five to 15 reps, you know, just keeping it very, very loose and open. And just advising them the main goal is to just just do more than you did last time. And really the the rest of that just comes down to what's an exercise that you like and that you will stick to and what can you progress without the movement starting to degrade. So we've all seen someone in the gym doing like bent over rows and they end up just humping the bar and it's like it's no longer a bent over row. Like how do you know from one week to the next whether you like if you just humped a bit harder then you get more weight up, but that's not that's not progress. So some way to keep things consistent and just aiming for slowly more volume over time. Obviously, that's going to plateau at some point, but that's when the value of coaching comes in and that's when you have to individualize a program and um, adjust things to keep the progress going. Do, do you have a... Um, do you, I'm guessing you haven't done loads of face-to-face stuff, but um, do, do, do you have a, a view on... on on when people say, well, I'd much rather have an in-person trainer versus a, a remote coach. Um, what, what's your view on that? And what's, what, what do you say to people? I think they, they fulfill different demands. Um, there are some people that would want a personal trainer, but wouldn't want a coach and vice versa. I think the, like in terms of bang for buck, you're probably best off hiring a, a hybrid one. If, you know, if you're wanting someone in person, it's probably a good idea to either have your personal trainer to also be your coach or um at least that they communicate with each other you don't want <laughs> you don't want like the trainer doing making you do one thing and then the coach being like hang on what's going on here and 
to to define the difference as well a coach is a strategist so that's someone who oversees your entire program you go away and do the thing and then they come back to you and and, and you go back to them and, and you say okay so the, here's what's happened this week here's how i've progressed and the coach says okay based on this let's change this and and keeps you accountable whereas a trainer is an in-person to you know to walk you through a session one by one now usually the difference between the kind of person who hires a trainer and a coach not always because you will have obviously elite athletes that work in person with a coach too but in general it's to do with agency and passion for training if you have a someone who a client or a patient who really loves training and really has high agency over it and wants to make it their own they probably don't need a trainer to walk them through a session but they might want someone to report into to keep them objective whereas um the value of a personal trainer is probably someone to 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 build up your confidence to get you in the gym making sure that you're lifting with correct form that you're enjoying the process and then setting you on your way and i think any trainer or coach the real goal should be for them to make you graduate from needing them um, and that's the sign of a good one because then you've made someone better and you've able you've been able to kind of send them on their way cool yeah, no, I agree. I agree absolutely. Um, and uh, what's uh, what's what? What are your non-negotiables in terms of your own personal health and fitness? And and then maybe we will get into some of the productivity um, component fundamentals. I don't want to go necessarily into the into the weeds. Yeah. So non-negotiables for me, sleep. I just think we can't can't get around it. There's a lot of you know, there's a lot of kind of biohacking type people, and I'd, I'd love to to chat about biohacking in a second as well if you're if you're up for that but um that think that you can jimmy sleep in some way like with polyphasic and all these kind of things and i just think like you can function like that but it's not you know it's not really how we're designed the other ones for me is having some kind of movement practice now i've personally been a bit rubbish with that recently especially when you've got a run of night shifts or a run of like on calls and and you just you know, you, you you just then have to choose between sleep and movement or sleep and eating. And then you're kind of stuck with very limited choices. Um, but in an ideal world, some kind of movement, whether that's a step count type of training, something to just keep you ticking over. Um, and then for me, meditation. And I don't have to define that narrowly as sitting cross-legged, focusing on your breath, but anything that you can use as a focal point for your um in your day that's an interesting point actually because you're on shifts now in fact you're on nights you're working tonight um how do you how are you you know what 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 tricks have you got to to manage that are you doing anything special or is it just kind of because i haven't done nights for a long time so and uh you know i used to have this kind of coming off night sequence that i used to do i'm just i mean yeah what was your approach i I wish I had a coming off night sequence of some, some tricks, but unfortunately they, they just slam me every time I do them. So today I tried to sleep in cause I've got the first night, first run, first night of the run tonight. And I mean, you can try and prep, but at the end of the day, I think the first night's always just going to be a bit grim, like whichever way you cut it. Um, so I, I just do them one, you know, finish the night at nine thirty AM, get straight to sleep, sleep until three or four, for some reason, I never sleep as long as I would in the nighttime if I'm sleeping in the day. 
um i've got blinds they're not full blackout blinds but try and get as dark as possible try and mimic that and if the stuff go if you live with other people and they're going to be doing stuff during the day get a set of earplugs but then on the final night i tend not to go to sleep i tend to just stay awake um, until the evening of that night and try and induce a bit of artificial sleep deprivation mm -hmm. otherwise what can happen is you finish the night shift you you're knackered because you've just done four nights or five nights you sleep until like 6 p.m and then you wake up and you're like oh no like <laughs> what yeah. do i do now um and then you're up until three in the morning and so i think better to just so i, I don't know if that's the healthiest approach but it's for me it's the way to just get back into the rhythm as soon as possible resynced yeah i think that that and, and that's what i used to do um similar to that i used to go to go to bed but but for like i'd limit it to four hours so say i went to bed at, at seven or eight in the morning i'd be up by midday and then yeah, kind of more like... disciplined man than me nick <laughs> i don't know about that um but yeah it's 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 a massive challenge isn't it and i like you know sleep is a massive factor and and i think in terms of you know metabolic recovery insulin resistance all the things that we say oh, you need to be healthy um if you're not resting well then then that's uh that's going to be a massive factor the the, the challenge <laughs> the challenge i've got is having a one-year-old that is uh very sporadic with uh, consistent sleeping so it's oh, uh, it's yeah, but that makes it a whole new level of, of difficulty yeah, new level of fatigue but um uh, i think your body does adapt and and, and you know I, I, the 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 the, the gift or, or the, the benefits I've got is, is being healthy and, and, you know, being able to maintain and tweak and, and, and being at a level where I can kind of pull the levers and they do something. Um, I think the challenge uh, certainly with some of the guys that I coach um, is, or, and some of the unhealthier people is when they come against these things like night work or having a child that where you're going to be up at night, then suddenly you don't have levers to pull. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we, even lockdown has has done this to a lot of people where it was certainly to me where the, there's already a threshold of difficulty and then if, if something just makes that a little bit more difficult it's like oh right the baby's gone out with the bathwater now yep yeah yeah and any do you have um I mean, we're both kind of in the space where we're pursuing what's interesting to us and, and we're willing, we've got the confidence and the background to explore new things when it comes to fitness, health, nutrition, even. Um, but, but what, what do you say to people who are like, Oh, I really want to get fit. And, and you know, how do they start that journey? Mm, I think it depends on their personality. So you get the occasional person that is just an absolute drill bit. And you know, you, you'll have met people who just like they're like right tell me what to do and you're like they they're asking for like the most optimal thing and you're like well you could do this and that's gonna be, and they're like, all right and they just go off and do it and then 12 weeks later they've come back and they're, and they're, they're quite rare people mm -hmm. that will just do what is required and they're, they they're just cleaners you know they're the kind of um kobe bryant type person that will just execute for most people if the difficulty is adherence then you've got to You've got to get some leverage on yourself you've got to figure out what it is that you enjoy and how can you stack that in as part of your part of your life you mentioned james clear before as well you know he's got the the four the four components to building a habit mm -hmm. make it easy make it satisfying make it um i've got it here actually i can't uh make it easy make it obvious make it satisfying and make it attractive mm 
And by doing those those things, you can then create the cue, the craving, the response and the reward of every habit and make it as simple as possible to integrate into your life. And the reverse applies as well for breaking a bad habit. And usually for someone to get the initial momentum to start making a change, they're going to have to break bad habits and create good habits. And so the inversion would just be to for the cue to make it invisible, the craving make it unattractive, the response to make it difficult for themselves, and the reward is to make it unsatisfying. So that might be if you're going to have naughty food in the house, either don't stock it, or if you do, put it in like the top cupboard. So you have to then really stand on a chair and get it out mm-hmm. to and make the the food that you should be eating as simple and easy as possible to make, you know, prep it in advance and have it in your fridge ready to go. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it is, yeah, yeah. It's the, it's the unsexy stuff, isn't it really? Um, and it's, it, it, I, I think I, I, I'm, I, I try to massively not do what, what's very easy to do now is, is to say oh, it's the easy stuff because it's not the easy stuff. And, and I never use the word basic. I try not to, use, I should say never. I never use, I try not to use the word basic because um, it's more fundamental um, and, and, you know, uh, elemental even um, yeah. <laughs> in terms of uh, what we need to do to, to be healthy. And, and, you know, it's not the basics. It's, it's, it's the fundamentals um, that need to be done before anything else can be layered on top. And I think a lot of people struggle with that because we're in this age now where it's social media, it's sexy Instagram stuff, um, you know, and you're looking at these aspirational guys, everyone's, you know, 7 million people viewing the rock um, a guy that spent hours and hours and hours for the last 30 years training you know and, and uh it, yeah and, and it's again it, it, everyone's trying to do things so quickly aren't they we're touching on what you said before yeah and i think that's a really good reframe as well of not seeing things as basic because then people will often think that they're too advanced to do the basic stuff and they mm. look for the 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 kind of advanced stuff without having the the fundamentals in place and that's where i think both of our, I mean, I'm, I'm making an assumption here, but I think that's where both of our kind of um, annoyance at the biohacking world comes from because people are looking for the hack without doing the basic stuff. And I, I read an article recently by a Silicon Valley guy that is trying to, so he, he's, he's taking clomiphene, which is a um, selective estrogen receptor modulator and um, low-dose lithium and doing all these like all these kind of niche drugs and and all this kind of stuff but it's like what's your what's your training routine like how much are you sleeping like what's let's get the basic stuff in place first before you start taking experimental drugs and i think part of the the appeal of biohacking comes from what we were talking about earlier which is people's um sense of distrust for the the medical system and so they want to be able to be like ah well i know the secret that might like my my doctor doesn't know about and um, they want to have kind of control over over what they're doing which can often it can be harmless in some senses but um to me it seems like it's coming from a place of wanting wanting control and wanting the hacks rather than doing the fundamental stuff yes yeah and and yeah the biohacking space is 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 fascinating um and and you know i get lots of questions about right what are you doing you know what works and they see me jumping in the sea because i live in brighton and they're like are you into like the wim hof stuff and i'm like yes uh lots of that stuff i think 
can be applicable. Um, I don't think, you know, over, over this side of the pond, as it were, we're not so caught up in the, in the supplement space. I mean, that's just bonkers when you listen to some of the, <laughs> some of the brain, Ben Greenfield stuff. And I, I think he does some fantastic work and, and, you know, um, I, I get a lot of information from, from, from that guy and the guy that he brings on, but, you know, I, I was listening to, in fact, yesterday I was listening to a podcast, one of the latest ones about, you know, his, uh, he's got this detailed 30 page report on his, uh, what all his blood tests over the last few years, his DNA, genetic makeup, all this stuff. And I was like, well, and you know, it's so specific and, um, and I'm always really mindful of this uh, genetic conversation that we have and people, and you know, I'm, I'm massively in a space now where I'm on the fence of it's not genes. Okay. Genes. I, I, I know the science is, 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 depending on who you look at. Some people say it's a, it can be a bigger percentage. Some people a massive short percentage. I sit on the fence of it's going to be a short, small percentage of the impact that you're going to have on your life is your genetic makeup. Epigenetics, that's a different story. Um, but your actual genetics, your genes, your DNA, that's a toolkit that you need to know how to access. That's the frame you need to have, not, um, oh, it's genes. Don't give yourself the excuse yeah, and don't go down the road of, I need my DNA tested, which, you know, you had some interesting conversations online with people and you're like hang on you're not drinking enough water your your yeah. diet's terrible you're not moving your body you're sitting down eight nine ten hours a day you're doing four hours of netflix a night i don't think you need your dna sequence mate yeah 100 percent. it's it's a fool's errand i think like I, I understand if you know if you're a top level sprinter and you need to figure out like what is the thing that's going to squeeze out an extra 0.1 seconds and you really squeezed the lemon of all possible inputs and that's your life then fine mm -hmm. but yeah like and someone like ben greenfield like i think the man is a spectacle like he's really fascinating to to see and he has got the fundamentals in place himself but i think for someone like him and if, if anyone doesn't i guess if anyone doesn't know who who he is he's like a pure experimental journalist with all the biohacking stuff and he's on the fringe of everything but that's his life that's his that's his interest and his passion and he's able to be Ben Greenfield because he has his entire day is living in a off grid wooden hut that has ethernet cables hardwired in and foil in the ceiling and uh, putting infrared um, waves on his scrotum in the morning and um, taking various peptides and you know, like that, that that's all part of the, the game for him. But um, the, I suppose the key is that a lot of people are living normal lives and need to figure out what is the, the highest yield stuff I can do while still living my normal life. Because mm -hmm. I don't have four hours a day to put infrared on my scrotum. Yeah. So, so what, what, what biohacks are you into? What, what do you like about it? What, what are things you just seeing hilarious? Yeah. So I've actually got this infrared light that, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so, um, that you, you mentioned getting in the sea, for example. I, I do actually really like the idea of temperature change to shift your, your state. Mm -hmm. There are many mechanisms uh, involved in, in both heat and cold exposure that are beneficial for glucose metabolism, longevity, muscle retention, mood, cardiovascular health. Like there's, there's so much that you can get from doing that. And, you know, we, we have to shower anyway. We have, so it's not, it's not really a, ma a massive, um, undertaking to to do that i i don't have the the space or the cash to have a sauna in my home so i've got an infrared sauna um bag which uh, i was sent to review and that's great because you can lie down in it meditate which you're doing anyway 
and it just gives you the benefit of that without having to kind of um, have a full full setup for it. Otherwise, in terms of biohacks, I don't know whether you'd count meditation as one, um, but that's, I mean, for me, that that's kind of a, a more fundamental practice than a, than a hack per se. What about um, tools? Uh, I know you've got some, some wearables, aura rings and bits and pieces. What, what, what do you think's worth looking at? Yeah, so I, I borrowed an aura ring from a friend, which is a, um, a wearable tracker device that you can wear on your finger, and it tracks heart rate, temperature, sleep, uh, sleep quality and sleep cycles surprisingly accurate for something of of that size i did like it and i did think that the data it was producing was was quite accurate um you know even on a night shift when i, I got like seven minutes of sleep at a time and it, it detected when i dropped into sleep and when i wasn't so it was it was pretty good on that um i know some independent tests have had mixed results but i think for me the main question is i and this is someone you know i'm someone who is interested in this stuff but i still don't have the bandwidth to sift through the data and draw correlations and and so for most people i'm like it's cool that these things exist but what are we doing with the data and probably if we do use it properly and figure out like tag in the things that we were doing and figure out ah, oh, this improves my heart rate variability and this doesn't we'll probably come out to the conclusions that not sleeping enough worsens your heart rate variability exercising improves it in the in the subacute sense um, meditating improves it like stuff that we probably already knew anyway so if you need it to convince yourself to like you know to show yourself the data like okay this is working i need to do it great but I, i'm not convinced that it's going to teach us anything crazily new that we don't already know yeah i agree and that's why i'm, I'm kind of i wouldn't say i'm anti it but i'm, I'm like let's layer it on top like we we're just talking about let's layer on top of, of good fundamentals um good practice and 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 you know let's be analytical before we start getting the tools involved to spending three four hundred pounds on a ring or whatever it, or whatever, whatever that would be in dollars but um awesome man so uh, we've, we've covered so many different things and that's why i wanted to get you on to kind of pick your pick your brains and and obviously the the, the massive synergies between your transitions to where you are clinical practice and the background in fitness as well um what's uh what's exciting you at the moment what's next for you what, what you know where do you see yourself going and and uh, how are you managing so that's one part the other part is how are you managing running a business being a full-time doctor yeah so i guess to answer that part first i'm it it's not it's not fun trying to do two things especially because i think being a doctor and running an online business as you know that they're, they're both um they're both full-time jobs arguably slightly more than full-time because running a business never never ends you, you don't you never get to the point in the day where you're like okay i've i'm done for the day because there's always more you can be doing and working as a doctor the the hours are usually um quite unsociable and and you know 50 to 60 hours a week um i've actually gone 80 percent part-time which means i have mondays off um so it works out at about 44 hours a week um now which which is which i i do find funny that that's considered part-time but um but but there we go um but what i'm excited about is hopefully going full-time once i've finished my my f2 year uh, in November, which is basically the the way that the career is set up 
for people listening is that it's it's done in blocks where if you kind of if you left midway through a block it would you'd have to start at the beginning again so it makes more sense to just complete that block and then you can you can take gaps in between um but in terms of managing it so i've done a video series on this where i go through the kind of the full processes but a, a lot of it starts with knowing what before you look at the how and i think what is much more important than how because rather than being able to clear things off your to-do list really efficiently you need to be able to know what are the things on my to-do list that i should be doing mm-hmm. and what are the things that can be binned and what things can be outsourced and um can i hire someone to to do for me instead and i think seeing time and money as a continuum rather than as two separate resources is so important because then you can say right i've only got a certain amount of time and if i do these activities it generates this amount return and so anything that's gen that that costs me less than that or that i should be that i want to be spending my time doing how can i pay someone and make the difference myself so a cleaner or food prep or anything like that if you're very time poor is important to to get them off your plate beyond that it's about setting up your work environment so that there's a, there's as few distractions as possible and the highest yield thing that anyone listening could do right now is disable notifications on your phone for god's sake like <laughs> it's just um having allowing the world to have access to your attention is massive um and it's just a huge mistake that's very recent that we've even allowed it and a lot of people have them enabled by default and these notifications are not designed to enrich your life or to make you more productive. The data suggests that it takes 18 minutes to get back to the task that you were doing after an interruption for your brain to fully be back in flow. Most people have a notification that goes off more than every 18 minutes, which means that we're never getting anything done. So disabling that and using your phone on your terms, I think is one of the highest yield things you can do. Um, and then beyond that, just clearing your desk of any excess paper paperwork or anything that you're not working on right now um, and using a task management system my personal favorite is tick tick um, it's multi-platform and uh, has built-in pomodoro timers and quick uh, siri integration and quick quick access uh, you can work on collaborating projects with people comments add in um, attachments and all that so it's, it's very good for a kind of complete system as well Cool. So to the, to the first part of the question, then what's exciting you now? What, what, you know, where are you going? What, what, you know, what, what you can do with the business, what you can do with clinical practice, what's, what's on the horizon for Yusuf? So, um, business wise, I think we're, we're in a fortunate position that a lot of the fitness stuff that we do is selling information products that we've, that we've made, um, before and, and just kind of the most of the work with the fitness business is getting the funnels the, the marketing funnels working towards selling people those products so the delivery is kind of handled from a business coaching perspective so we we help people like like nick um with their their systems for for coaching we're actually re-recording the the entire program um just to update with with current changes especially with what's going on with facebook at the moment and 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 everything else so those are the two big projects on that perspective um, I've made some shifts in my the, the way that I operate my own personal development and knowledge management in terms of an external brain, um, which 
I, I'm, I'm scared to even start on that rabbit hole because I'll, <laughs> I'll just nerd out on it for a while. Um, and then me- medicine, so I'm on a geriatrics ward at the moment, um, then moving on to a GP rotation, which I'm, I'm quite looking forward to from a um, from primary care perspective, especially with, with what we've just spoken about. Um, but I think it's going to be... I think it's going to be interesting what happens over the next couple of years with the way that most things are running from a remote work perspective because we've got gp practices working remotely i'm sure um it's probably changed the way that 111 has um is operating it's it's going to be a it's going to be an interesting couple of years as things pan out with this yeah oh absolutely and um yeah there's huge seismic shifts in in what's going on in the primary care gp space um yeah i'm, I'm sure the listeners probably don't want to get bored with that, that down that rabbit hole particularly but yeah it's an it's an interesting world to be involved in um and uh so so presumably then um you're you're kind of coming to a period quite a nice period now where you've kind of you're you're getting to complete your your f2 and then you can kind of you can not take things easy it's completely the wrong expression but you can actually pick and choose and and you can be much more flexible i know this this notion of f3 hangs around for a while doesn't it (laughs) so i think uh like the proportion of doctors going straight like going straight through from f2 which is the completion of their general surgical and medical rotations into specialty training it used to be a really high percentage now it's something like i don't know 20 percent or 30 percent so there's something that's changed with either people's um appetite for time or it's their sense of burnout or um, morale i don't know what it is really but something has changed and really shifted the scales in favor of people taking some time out for themselves yeah that's good to hear i think i think there's so much pressure placed on junior doctors in the uk um probably globally globally but um and, and also there's you know my my paramedic practice has changed massively from from taking a step back um doing a lot less of that taking a bit of a break from it about 18 months ago um and then coming back in and, and opening my eyes to all sorts of different opportunities that are out there um and actually really uh resetting and understanding where you want to go and and as you develop as well because i'm you know i'm I'm 42 in a few weeks and things change you know i've got family now and you don't you don't want to be doing running around um chasing you know chasing stab wounds in central london of of a saturday night okay that no no longer is exciting for me um but uh but yeah it's 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 it'd be interesting so um uh, yeah cool um and uh before we kind of we kind of wrap this up and i'm I'm have some quick fire questions for you but um uh one thing i've heard you talked about lots which i I can't uh, i'll be remiss to to let you go without talking about is reverse dieting kind of what is it um what are the benefits because i know that there's a guy called lane norton isn't there he he, he, you're quite into some of his stuff and and i'm I'm intrigued because i know very little about it it's not something i've experimented with but i know it's it's kind of becoming more of a oh yeah i've heard of that yeah so a reverse diet is the transition out of a regular diet and the goal really is that when you've got someone who is losing fat for a prolonged period they get to a level of leanness that we then want them to maintain that leanness long term and rather than going straight from end of diet into right we're going to double your calories off you go it's a transition period of gradually introducing and systematically introducing calories over time with the theory being that you can 
provoke a very gradual metabolic adaptation to accommodate for those new calories. So if you to really slowly squeeze them in, your metabolic rate will be able to handle it without much change in body weight. And then as calories increase, you want to be able to really increase calories to a point where your body is responding in a disproportionately low amount to the amount of calories that you're, or, or to put it another way, you're increasing the calories disproportionately highly compared to the amount of body weight that's changing. So that eventually you can top out at a high intake of calories without your body weight spilling over into fat. That way, not only is the advantage that you can eat more food, but your metabolism's at its highest that it can be, and you're feeling great because you're running on higher calories, your training intensity's gone up, your sex drive, your recovery, your sleep, all that's improved. And you're then able to just run that long term without feeling deprived because you're eating lots of calories. So that's the that's the theory. And I think psychologically as well, it gives a nice slow um, transition rather than when you're at the end of a diet and you're feeling that you're most neurotic to the prospect of doubling your calories is quite scary. So to have that as a, a smooth ramp is very nice. Cool. And any references for people listening? We have a we have an article called How to Gain Muscle While Staying Lean, um, which is which is a full rundown of the of the process. That, that's that's actually Johnny, my business partner's documentation of when he was at the end of his diet, and there's pictures of him five kilos apart, where he's still very similar level of leanness, but he's increased his muscle and his strength by quite a lot. So he he executed the reverse diet really well. Um, I did the same thing back in 2013. And haven't had to diet since still been able to maintain abs um while eating you know without eating in a restricted way and i put a lot of it down to the fact that i actually i did the reverse diet slow enough to not cause the spillover mm. it's hard it's it's certainly not a, you know slowly increasing your calories you think would be a, a fun experience but it's actually really um it drives you up the wall but it's worth it and you get to, you, you know, my understanding is you get to a point where you, you're eating way more calories than you thought you would ever be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is, Which is uh, someone like, yeah, it was someone like me. It's a, it's a great idea. You know, the prospect is exciting. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, that's that's interesting. I, I did want to kind of pick your brains on that one. So that's cool. Um, awesome. And where, where can people find that? So that's on Propane Fitness. If you just search um, Propane Fitness, how to gain muscle while staying lean. It's a blog, is it? Yeah. I'll try and find that and link to it in the show notes for oh, yeah, you. I'll send you it. Cool. Awesome. Yusuf, um, lots of my guests come on, uh, add loads of value, which you have done and, and give give kind of people their, their their tools and tactics, which I know everyone listening is always kind of intrigued by. And But we, we've talked lots about the fundamentals and also the healthcare system, et cetera. Um, you know, the, the question I, I have for you is, is, is what does health mean to you? Oh. <laughs> so all the the flashbacks of med school are coming in with like the, the there's like four official definitions isn't there there's like absence of disease and what but i i would probably go simpler than that and just say feeling good in your body it's mm. a good answer yeah keep it simple and um 
I think so much can be gleaned from sitting down quietly and understanding how you feel about something. And, you know, you know, if you're about to that, this emotional eating thing that, that we kind of classify as someone else's problem is, I think affects, you know, a massive, most, most of us really. Um, and uh, as a snapshot of what you're saying is that simple approach to, okay, let's just, how do I feel about this? How will I feel if I take this action versus that action? Um, yeah. I think the sense of feeling um, is a, is a one that's been quite untapped or we've we've kind of covered over it over the years as we've become more brain oriented in our, in, in our kind of uh, modern lives but it's the the sense of feeling is processing thousands of bits of data and giving us a single indicator and so it's a really powerful way to um, synthesize so much of what's going on and you know i, I think we've all lost touch with our gut feeling with a lot of things yeah yes absolutely um and and yeah it's been it's been hugely overlooked in in the last you know you know few generations i would say and we've been we've been kind of led down a path of you know <laughs> i'm not using any of the, the the cliche catchphrases that are very popular at the moment but led down the path of, of someone else's narrative uh, as opposed to just sitting with your own thoughts and and finding your own um your own own things and your own your own ways to not feel but your own ways to act based mm. on your feelings and and uh, and the science behind it you know i, I remember you 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 you're quite uh, quite into the twitter these days and, and you put something about um you know what's i think it was what's the most overlooked um you know health hack or something like that i can't remember exactly what it was and i i, I commented about uh, or, or things that people need to understand understandings basic understandings and i put something about a, a basic neuroscience as as you know making the connection between you know i'm feeling something actually there is a scientific reason why that is the case and you should probably follow that to a certain extent and start to understand what's going on in terms of your uh, activity within your brain yeah but it's it's uncomfortable for people to do and i think that's why it's not a very popular not a very sexy thing for people to pursue is it no but but there's an innate truth to it um mm. and uh, you know i always reflect back to a guy i've had on twice um jeff uh shub 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 um and he you know he, he's very much of, the, of that kind of like you know sitting with your feelings and understanding what your your own truths are um and 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 working from that space and creating space to make those decisions uh lots it, it sounds a bit woo woo when we first comment on it but there there is an underpinning to that that i think you know we see that and i actually see it in clinical practice as well you know we, we we're seeing this explosion in mental health which i've commented on a few times over the last 12 months um and and you know on having those in-depth conversations people you get the feeling people know the direction they want to go in they're just hemmed in because of the psychological impact of of, of the right now or what's happened in the past the trauma whatever it might be but but there is an innate understanding and I've, I've seen that end of life i've seen that in in you know all aspects not always but but you do there is a theme a thread there yeah absolutely cool man um yusuf any final words before we wrap this up no this has been it's been a pleasure I, I love the the sprawling direction we've, we've taken things, but hopefully there's some some good stuff in there for everyone. Yeah, I, I think we're going to have to break this up into a two parter. It might fit well with <laughs> with a tech issue that we stumbled across. But um, I really appreciate that, and thank you very much. Um, thank you very much for jumping on. Uh, thank you, Nick. You're doing amazing work. Cheers. There we go. 
Yusuf, what an amazing bloke doing amazing things and, and really kind of getting the most out of life. Um, I'm impressed uh, with how he, how he has a process and, and he is disciplined around um, mapping his life out, all aspects of his life and, and putting things in place to ensure um, we don't feel that overwhelmed. We're able to manage the hecticness and, and the things that things like shift work have an impact and, and just being acceptive of that and also his kind of like his journey to, to this as well I think is, is akin to to lots of people's including myself and, and trying to trying to do what I think we all want to do which is uh, find a path to what fulfills us and what makes us happy as opposed to just grinding it out without that vision um, I think that's an important aspect to, to kind of finish on really um, and yeah I just want to thank you for for listening in tuning in uh, if you want to find Yusuf uh, the easiest place is Instagram or Twitter um, it's at propane fitness um, and uh, Twitter is is kind of home of where, where, where Yusuf is doing lots of his bits and pieces and, and uh, home of witty banter for, for that guy for sure so check, check him out on Twitter uh, if you want to engage with me uh, on the socials I am Elem uh, sorry I am at Elemental Nick start that again I am at Elemental underscore Nick um, you'll be able to find me there and also elementalhealth.co that's elementalhealth.co for information on, on what I'm up to uh, the latest YouTube bits and pieces that I'm putting forward putting together um, and all the other bits uh, can be found there and that's a good source to kind of engage with me and, and check out what I'm up to from a, a coaching perspective and all the other bits and pieces guys thank you very much please like comment uh, and give us some feedback and a review if you have a minute or two and have enjoyed the output that we've got here for you Okay, take care.